Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory and Lilu Nishmat Yosef Ben Hinya. Allah Shalom. May his Neshama have an Aliyah. Also, thanks to the rabbis for their beautiful words of Torah each day. Wishing everyone a Shana Tova Mutuka. Breakfast in the Class also sponsored by Amy and Isaac Sagman, dedicated in celebration of their daughter Georgie uh, Emunah Bat Hadassah's birthday. Mazal Tov. Breakfast in the Class is sponsored as well uh, in. in uh, by Elihu Burl, dedicated in honor of the September 2nd birthday of his loving wife, Jill Cutler. Yafa Bat Moshe Venecha, who is a dedicated Wi-Fi listener to Rabbi Shlomo's classes every morning. We thank Rabbi Farhi for his continuing inspiration, teachings, insights, and dedication to the teaching of Torah and Musar. Beautiful, thank you. Breakfast and the class dedicated for the Rifuash Lema of Yosef ben Rachel, sponsored anonymously. And finally, dedicated for the Rifuash Lema of Yishak Hayim ben Altun Ora, sponsored by Adel Pindek. Hazaku Baruch. Okay, Rabutai, um, I wanted to just spend a couple minutes um, talking about one of the beautiful themes of the holiday of Rosh Hashanah that doesn't really get enough uh, press time, I feel. Um, and if we don't discuss it now, currently, before we get into Rosh Hashanah, then we'll actually miss out on this important part, segment of the holiday. You know, in the Musaf Tefillah, we have a very long prayer. It's the longest Tefillah, the longest Amidah of the whole year. Okay, I remember one time I was young, I was looking, I was like, oof, how many pages? I counted it was 19 pages, the Amidah of Musaf for Rosh Hashanah. And it's divided into three different parts, okay? And the Gemara already tells us that this is the prayer, this is the essence of the prayer of Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. We have to have Malchiyot, Zichronot, and Shofarot. Why do we read these three things? And if you look in the Siddur, you'll see that the structure is. Malchiyot, we talk about the kingship of God, and we'll bring all the Pesukim in the Torah, or ten Pesukim from Torah, Nevim and Ketuvim, from the three segments of the Torah, from the writings, from the prophets, and from the Bible, of all verses that talk about how HaKadosh Baruch was the king of the world. Etc, etc. Then we get to the second part is, after we read about the kingship of God and quote all the verses, we have Zichronot. We talk about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is using this day as a day to um, reward or punish all the people and decide what their fate's going to be for the next year. And he brings up all of the memories um, and all the things that people did. And that's when we begin that part of the Amidah. We say, Ataz, Ocher, you remember uh, the deeds of all mankind. They come before you. There's no forgetting in front of the Kiseh HaKavod. You know, all there is is HaKadosh Baruch Hu remembers everything. He sees everything, even in the innermost rooms. God knows everything that there is to know about you. And that, all that goes into the process of judgment on this great and awesome day. And finally, we read, uh, which, so it talks about the Zichronot, uh, right? In, you know, all the times where it says, uh, You know, I remember, I'm forgetting the exact pasuk. Right? But each time it talks about each, each verse in the Torah and as well in Nevi'im and Kituvim of Zichira, of God remembering. And finally, the last thing is, the last segment is Shofarot, where we read about the Shofar and how we, uh, how Allah Elohim Betruah, Adrai Bechkol Gadol, right? Because Shofar, uh, there's 
Pesukim that talk about how the shofar is a central part of the service of God and of the coronation of God as the king and how it was blown at Mount Sinai. We read all these different verses about the shofar in the Torah. Now, sometimes you're reading and you're just trying to get through the prayers, um, but you don't spend the time to think about what are these three things. And let's take a look for one second at the words of the Gemara. Why do we read Zichronot? Why do we read Malchuyot? Uh, uh, In order that you make me king over you. So we're reading these verses. What are we supposed to be doing as we're reading Malchuyot? That you should make me, you should coronate me, so to speak. You should appoint me king over you. Now that's an interesting expression. Because really, God is the king. Whether or not you like it, God is the king. So what does it mean that you have to read these verses in order to... It's not like an election. It's not a democracy. We don't get to decide who our God is going to be, who's going to be the king of the world. So what does it mean? And there's a beautiful teaching that our rabbis tell us that I think is very beautiful and I think as well is, uh, is very important. We say, and our rabbis explain that what does it mean, for to God is the kingship and rulership amongst the nations. You see, there's a fundamental difference between a king and a ruler. A king is a leader that is appointed by the people. The people choose him to be their king. A Moshel is a ruler. He rules over the people whether they like it or not. We find by Yosef that Yosef was Moshel Bechol Eretz Mitzrayim. He was a ruler over all of Egypt. Remember, um, Yosef was from the country, he was from the land of the Hebrews. The Egyptians, they looked down on the Hebrews. They looked down on them. In fact, that's why when they first came uh, to Goshen, they came to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, the brothers of Yosef, where did they live? They lived in their own separate country, in their own separate town, called Goshen. Why? Because it was the abomination of the Egyptians that the, the Hebrews, the people from that country, they were ro'etzon, they were uh, shepherds of sheep. And the god of Egypt at the time, the idol of Egypt, was the sheep. So therefore, they had to live separately because it, was a, it would have created a big problem, a big animosity. So when Yosef was appointed, right, uh, he was Moshel Mechol Eretz Mitzrayim. He was ruling over against their will. Now, that pasuk, I think, is a central pasuk for us to focus on when we think uh, we want to approach the process of Rosh Hashanah. Because, you know what, like we said earlier, who cares if the name of God is king or the name of God is ruler? So God is our king, because we accepted God, we said, the Jewish people, we appointed God as our king, so to speak. We're accepting his kingship. Whereas Bagoyim, when God asked them if they wanted to keep the Torah, they didn't want it. So therefore, for the non-Jews of the world, God is not, so to speak, the king. God is the Moshel. 
practically, there's no difference. God is in charge. He makes decisions for you. He decides whether your uh, business will do well, whether you'll have a good marriage, whether you'll, you know, have, you know, good and healthy kids, whether, you know, your life will be one of joy or it'll be one of anxiety, whether you'll have to move 10 times or, you know, you'll find, you know, you'll find your place early on in life to be able to get settled and have a peaceful existence. All these things, they're in God's hands, whether you accept them or not. So what's the fundamental difference between whether you accept God's rulership over you or not? I mean, look, bottom line, there's a lot of people today who still don't accept uh, that Biden won the election. Now, I'm not getting into whether or not uh, there was election fraud. There wasn't. I'm not, I don't want to alienate people over a subject. That's not the point of this conversation. But whatever you are, if you're a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter, right now, Biden is the president and the laws that he passes matter. And the laws that Trump passes, if he passes a law in his own bedroom, they don't matter. Right now, the, the fact on the ground is that Biden is the president. You might not like him, you might think he's ineffectual, you might think whatever, but right now that is the situation. So what's the difference? Who cares if God is Melech or he's Moshel? And the answer is, you know what? In practical terms, it doesn't matter. But it matters deeply for you and for me. Because when you accept somebody as your leader, then you follow in their ways and not begrudgingly, you're looking to them for leadership. So when they ask you to do something, you want to listen to what they have to say because you put that person in power. You think that they are a person who's worth following as a leader. When Am Yisrael said, they said to God, we trust you. We trust that you have our best interests at heart. So therefore, if you ask us to do something, we're going to follow in your ways. The nations of the world didn't do that. So God de facto still rules over them. But they don't want to follow in his ways. And if they have to, it's all begrudgingly and against their will, etc., etc. My friends, on Rosh Hashanah, on some level, we get to decide if we are Jews or non-Jews. We get to decide if we're part of the people who want God as king or who are unfortunately stuck with God and we're waiting for 2024 and a new election so we could try and vote Hashem out of power. Do you understand the point? Read the verses. See the context within which all those verses were said where we read about how God was the king and look at what God did with his kingship and look at how we're still around after all these years because God is our king. And you know what? If we did not have God uh, looking out for us all these years, there's no question that in the, uh, in the many, many different exiles that we've had throughout our history, we would have been wiped out by many willing executioners. So, Let's make that practical for a, for a second. There's mitzvot that you love. Some people, they come to shul, they love hearing the, the songs of the shul, you know, at a brit milah, you see people come alive. You have a guy sitting there, you know, he can't wait to get his anenu. You know, all year round, he doesn't, he doesn't love praying, but he gets his anenu, he's excited. You have some people, they love giving tzedakah, and they have a specific type of tzedakah. They love it, that animates them, that excites them. But there's other areas that they don't love doing mitzvot. In the areas within which you are rejecting or resenting the leadership of God. I don't like this mitzvah. I don't want to do this. I hate Shabbat. It's too long. 
Uh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Whatever the case is. So in those areas, you are stripping God of his crown, so to speak, of his title, Melech. And what are you doing instead? You're treating him like a Moshel, like a forced ruler. You know, they say a story about a great rabbi that once, uh, you know, it came time to one of the lines in, uh, in the tefillah on the high holidays. And the word that he was, he started to sing out loud. And as he's saying it out loud, he starts crying. And the word that he was saying was the word Hamelech. And the rabbi starts crying. They came to the rabbi and they said, Rabbi, why are you crying? He said, Hamelech, big deal. It's all over the place. He says, I'm reminded of a Gemara. The Gemara tells us that when Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai was living in the city of Jerusalem during the time of the destruction of the temple, so the city was torn apart. There were the rabbis and there were the warriors. The warriors at the time felt that, you know what? We have to die a martyr's death. We have to go to our suicides to fight against the Romans. And when the rabbis said to them, why? We clearly lost this war. Let's preserve human life. The point of war is not just to have gone towards to be able to create a better situation for yourself. If they're going to slaughter us all, men, women, and children, there's no honor in dying on the battlefield just for the sake of dying on the battlefield. Live to fight another day. The warriors went out and they burned all of the uh, food, the wheat, the oil, the, tr the uh, wood that they had to sustain themselves during the siege that the Romans uh, were leading. So they forced the hand, so to speak, of the people to fight in order to be able to, to win because they couldn't just sit there and ride out the siege. Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai realizes that all these people are about to get killed. He comes up with a plan, an unbelievable plan, and he sneaks out of the city, he risks his life from the hands of these Jewish warriors, and he gets out of the city and he goes to visit uh, the person at the time who was running the siege, whose name was Aspasianus, okay? And Aspasianus was there and he was Vespasian. He was the one who was running the siege. And he comes up to Vespasian and he says, Shalom Alecha Malka. Welcome, O king. And Vespasian looks at him and he says, you are, I have to kill you for two reasons. Number one, he says, you called me the king and I'm the general. And that's treason. You're calling a general the king. The king is in Rome. The Roman Caesar is there. Number two, he says, and if I am the king, Ad ha'idna, until now, where have you been? If I'm not the king, calling me the king earns you the death penalty. And if I am the king, if I am the king, imalka'ana, ad ha'idna, until now, where have you been? The rabbi said, I was praying, and all of a sudden I say the word hamelech, and the words of Vespasian, of Aspasianus Kesar, they ring in my ears. Hashem is looking at me. I said, Hamelech. And Hashem says, I'm the king. If I'm the king, where have you been? I don't see you treating me like a king. I don't see you. And now we understand a sharper definition of that. I don't see you happily serving me, willingly serving me. Even if you are serving me, are you serving me as a Melech or as a Moshel or as a ruler? Are you happy to have been born a Jew? Or are you begrudgingly fulfilling the mitzvot um, that, that, you, uh, that you don't have a choice to not do? Rabotai, let us all focus in those moments of malchuyot on things that maybe we're not so happy about in our Judaism. We do, 
with half a heart, without a smile, and think of how we could bring joy, energy, and excitement, willingness to those mitzvot. Malchuyot kedeshet amlichuni alechem. Then we move to the second one, zichronot. We talk about the remembrances. And there it says, Kidei, the Gemara says, why do we read Zichronot? Kidei, in order, in order that the memory of the Jewish people should come before me. What does that mean? There's two sets of memories that come before God. One memory is your personal storybook. What have you done? What have you done right? What have you done wrong? What did you say that hurt someone's feelings? What did you say to build someone up? Which prayer did you say beautifully? Which prayer did you mumble? Which business deal did you do that was full of integrity and honesty and kindness? And which, in, which deal did you do that was about cutting someone out of the deal, taking what was due to someone and trying to figure out how to put it into your pocket? Which deals? Boreo Lam goes with a fine tooth comb through your personal story. Hashem, you remember everything. There's no forgetting in front of your holy throne. And finally, my friends, as we read the Pesukim, we realize that there's another set of remembrances that God has. And I'm going to preface this with a point that I remember seeing Rabbi Friedlander make. You know, on the holiday, we have many requests. Rosh Hashanah, Aset Met Shuvah, Yom Kippur. We ask Borei Olam, we ask him to write us Kodvenu Besefer Haim Tovim. Write us in the book of, li- of good life. Right? Beautiful. Write us in the book of Selicha uh, Mechila, of forgiveness. Hashem could decide to forgive you. Hashem could decide to give you good life. But then there's one line. Kodvenu Besefer Sadikim. Right? Write us in the book of the righteous. We ask Hashem to consider us, to write us in the book. And that always, you know, that always kind of gave me pause. You want to write me in the book of life, no problem. But how are you writing me into a book that says I'm a tzaddik? Now, a simple answer might be that those are the same book. The book of life is the book of the righteous. So Hashem, even though you're not righteous, Hashem is writing a rasha like me, in the book of the Sadiqim, because he wants to save my life. Okay, I can understand that. But Rabbi Friedlander says something very different. And this is so beautiful. He says, you know, sometimes you have a child and they're acting out and they're being horrible and they're being chutzpah, they're doing acts of complete brazenness, they're yelling and screaming. You're looking at this kid and you're thinking, did I give birth to a monster? Is this kid an, you know, an animal? Is he just a bad kid? But if you ask an expert in child psychology, they'll tell you that oftentimes, what is a child doing when they're uh, acting out, when they're throwing the glass on the floor, where they're screaming and drawing on the wall, or ripping a book? What is a child doing with that anger? <clears throat> they're asking for attention. And if they cannot get positive attention, then they will get negative attention. And like I've always want to say, it's not just children that do this, but also adults that act like children. People who hurt you. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get your attention. Okay? If you really thought about it, they're not trying to hurt you. Your child is not, doesn't care to write on the wall. Why are they writing on the wall? Because they love you. 
Now that sounds counterintuitive because you're looking at this guy and you're thinking, if you love me, why are you doing something to upset me? And you know what the answer is? Because you're not noticing me. You don't see me. You're not interacting with me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write on the wall and then you'll scream at me. And at least my father, at least my mother notices me. You have a, a husband or a wife that feels maybe neglected by their spouse. So they'll push buttons. And you think they're trying to start a fight, but they're not trying to start a fight. They want love. They want attention. But if they can't get it one way, they'll try and get it another way. Says Rabbi Friedlander, magnificent. He says, Hashem, we ask Hashem, write us in the book of the tzaddikim. The tzaddikim want to get close to you, and we also want to get close to you. And you know that these actions, their core, their root, is not from a bad place, it's from a good place. And only you can know that. So Borei Olam, are you going to choose to judge me by my deeds and call me a rasha? Or are you going to choose to judge me by my intentions, which might actually be a cry for help to my Father in Heaven? Please, Hashem, see me. You have someone who goes through something very difficult in their life. They lose but a thousand times a child. And then they decide that's it, khalas, I'm not keeping Shabbat anymore. They're hurting Shabbat? No. They're trying to poke God. They're trying to say, I, I don't like what you did to me. I, I hate what happened to me. And this is the only way I know how to poke you back. But that Chilul Shabbat, ironically, it speaks of a deep underlying emunah. That the person believes in God. That they believe God notices and they believe God cares. And they believe and they're asking, why? Why did you do this to me? So we say to God, Write us in the book of the righteous. You see, that really is the point of zikronot. Hashem knows all that you did. But we say, Hashem, remember, my forefathers, I come from the genetic material of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. There were times in our history where you said, Zachati la chesed I remember the kindness of your youth, the love that you had for me when you were just a bride. Hashem, you remember how much we trusted in you, how much we loved you. So maybe this is the act of a person who feels abandoned, upset, angry, and, and not the willful, hurtful action of someone trying to hurt or trying to do wrong. Zichronot says the Gemara, in order that your memory, the memory of who you really are, should come before me. Many times I'll ask a couple, they come to me with a problem, and I ask them, they say, oh, she said this. I said, is she always just, does she just spend her time trying to hurt you? Is your husband, does he, does he enjoy like driving you mad? Is that, what, is that your historical experience with him? Is that what he's always done? Is that his modus operandi? Is that how he operates? No? So then what's going on here? Maybe this is not what you think it is. Look at my track record. Look at my history. Don't look at this present. I am more than my deeds. I am more than my current situation. And finally we end off and the Gemara says, and bameh bashofar. How do we do that? With the shofar. Now, I found that interesting. You read Malchiyot in order to appoint Hashem as your king. You read Zichronot in order to have the memories of who we were and our 
long-standing relationship with Hashem, which allows us to have more credit than someone who's a newcomer, who says, I want to take out a line of credit. They say, who are you? But you gave him. Yeah, but he's doing business with me for 50 years. I know his father. I know his grandfather. Okay? That's zikronot. But comes shofar, it says, bameh, and how does this happen? Bishofar. Now, it's interesting, because the first one was about making God a king. The second one was about having the memories of Jewish people's past come before God, our illustrious history, and our parents and grandparents before us. Bameh, with what, can either go on the zikronot, or it could go on the malchuyot, or it could go on both. In fact, the Rishonim talk about this, and I want to follow this opinion, that it's actually speaking about both. How does our remembrance come before God? Bishofar. How does Hashem's coronation happen? Bishofar with Shofar. You see, Shofar is a two-way player. And let me explain what I mean by that. There's a remarkable baseball player today. His name is Shohei Otani. He plays for the Angels. He's the number one home run hitter in, uh, in baseball, I believe. I think he's got 42 home runs now. Now he happens to also be an incredible pitcher. And he happens to also be great at stealing bases. Sometimes the function of a thing is not in one direction only, but it operates in multiple angles, in multiple directions. The shofar is exactly like that. Number one, what does it do? It brings the remembrance of us before God. It reminds God, so to speak, of the Akedah. When else did the shofar blow in our history? It blew at Mount Sinai when we said Naseh Venishma. So God, remember that devotion. It reminds God of us and it also serves collectively, nationally, to remind uh, us of God. So Bameh, how do we have these memories? of shofar, bishofar, with the shofar. So the tamlichuni alechem, that's up to us. We do that. That's up to God. But the shofar operates both on us and on Hashem. It reminds, so to speak, it brings to our consciousness and memory all the times that Borei Olam was there for us so that we make him our king with all of our heart and we accept his mitzvot and to improve our ways. And conversely, it also brings our story, our history to God's, so to speak, consciousness. Because of all those important times in history where the shofar blew, in the Beit HaMikdash, at the, at the, uh, at the uh, Akedah, where the first shofar was taken um, from the head of the Ayil that was sacrificed in Yitzchak's stead. May Hashem bless us that we should be zocheh on this day to dial into the tefillot. I must advise everyone, take some time. Sit down with a machzor. Look in the book. Read the prayers. Read them in English. So when you come to the synagogue and the prayers are being sung beautifully, it's not just a nice tune, but it's actually something that really uh, penetrates your heart and uh, improves your connection with Borei Olam and improves your chances on a day where everything is at stake in Shammai. Baruch Adonai Amen ve Amen.